Wednesdays, we are uh, we meet here on Wednesday evenings in a little room around the corner here, and um, we're going to be studying, at least the adults, this book called Don't Waste Your Life, eight weeks, September 21st through November 9th. I have a sign-up sheet back there, not that I'm going to order the book for you, I just want to know who is interested in coming to this so I can prepare, okay? Now, with that book in mind, Don't Waste Your Life, um, that leads in to our scripture this morning. sermon is entitled, For Him. We have uh, been studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, we find out that Paul has either composed a, a hymn or he is quoting a hymn that was already in circulation in the early church. But you say, do you do hymns here at Valley Brook? Yes, really old ones. Here's a really, really old hymn that may have been written a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven. It is in praise of Jesus. So I'll read the whole thing again, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And that's what we covered last week. And for him. That's what we're going to cover today. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to pray, Lord, Open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to the truth that we were created for you. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to, to not just comprehend, but to believe and to live accordingly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So some people have spent their entire lives seeking after the answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? Some philosophers have concluded, and by the way, if you're an atheist, you have to conclude there's no purpose. We're a cosmic accident. And some philosophers have concluded that there's no purpose. Face up to that brute fact that there's no purpose to your life. There is no purpose to existence. And, you know, a number of them have actually tried to live consistently with their conclusion that there is no purpose to life, and a number of them have gone insane. You cannot live with no purpose. Now, others have spent their entire lives pursuing a purpose, but the wrong 
purpose. Some realize it on their deathbed, and they say, I've wasted my life. Others never realize it. Maybe even worse are those who go through their entire lives never even asking the question, what is the purpose of life? They're just born into this world, and they're just all about the Sox game and the Cubs game and the Olympics and uh, catching Pokemons and growing up and making money, and that's it. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. That's why I'm so excited about this book we're going to study in the fall, Don't Waste Your Life. Now, in the hymn today, we're going to get a foretaste of the book, Don't Waste Your Life, right? What is the purpose of life? How not to waste your life? By zeroing in on two words. What is the purpose of life? All things were created through him, through Christ, and for him. Right there. People have, have searched the world over for the, the, the purpose of life. What am I here for? They haven't found it. Guess what? It's right here. You were created for him. There's the purpose. God has revealed in his scripture the purpose of life. You were created for him. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you five statements this morning that summarize the whole Don't Waste Your Life book and really the whole philosophy and theology that Piper has written about and studied and tried to proclaim his entire life. And it's not about John Piper. It's about Piper as a teacher helping us see what Scripture really says. Okay? Really, you could say the whole Don't Waste Your Life Philosophy is summed up in for him. If we get this. Now, in, in a real simplistic way, life is all about you being created for him. But it's a little more complicated than that. So I need to kind of challenge us this morning to not check out. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. All right, so here we go. Put on those thinking caps. Five statements. Statement number one, that, that, this, that these two little words uh, help us to understand. Statement number one, the essence of sin is not living for him. If you were created by God to know him, to love him, to glorify him, if you were created for him, and if somebody is not living for him, that's what sin is. Right? Um, many people think sin is just not keeping God's rules. Why do you think Jesus was so furious with the Pharisees? They kept the rules. You can keep God's rules and still horribly sin because you're not doing it for him. Your motive matters. You know, when, when Scripture says this, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. In other words, Scripture's evaluation of humanity is we are all worthless sinners. 
from the perspective of us standing before God in our own righteousness. Now, we talk about worth and Christ dying for us. I mean, there's, we're worthless on our own, but in Christ we are incredibly valuable. Right? But some people hear this <clears throat> evaluation of Scripture and they go, I don't think all people are bad. In fact, I know a lot of non-Christians, people say, who are nice, moral, good people. In fact, I know some non-Christians who are gooder than Christians. Right? Better than Christians. Not all non-Christians are bad. Some are good, they say. Well, let me give you an illustration, though, that puts this in perspective. Imagine you're an employer, and you have a business, and you uh, select an employee of yours to be your apprentice because one day you hope to turn the business over to this apprentice, and you pour a lot into this apprentice, and you teach him how to do things right, how to play by the rules. And uh, he learns everything from you, and then one day he turns on you, And he quits and he goes and starts a business across the street to take away your business. Now, could we say, since he is playing by the rules that you taught him, that he's a blessing to you? No. He may be playing by the rules that you taught him, but he's not doing it for you. God created us for him, and everything we do should be motivated with a desire to glorify him. Here's what Romans 14.23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith, from a, from a, a trust in Christ, a love for Christ, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So there may be some good tax-paying fathers who love their children, love their wife. They cut their grass. They coach soccer. They they look at them. They look good. But why are they doing it? That makes all the difference in the world. Okay. So uh, Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. If you were created for him, if you're to do everything for his glory, if everything must proceed from faith, and we live life without that motive, in all we do, we are in sin. All right, so first thing that this this little phrase, for him, clarifies for us is what is sin. Don't, Don't be so simplistic as to say, well, he looks like a nice guy. He's a good guy. He must be fine before God. No. Really good, clean, productive people can have very black hearts if they are not living for him. Second phrase I want you to get. Now, now some people, they, they don't like this. Because they've actually been taught, even in their church, that it's all about you. God came to make much of you. 
And then they hear that you were saved, not really for you, but for him. And they don't like that, especially the prosperity gospel and many other gospels. They make it all about you. You know, what's the difference between a, a, a good, solid, biblical theology of man? Uh, what's the difference between that and what is taught in many false places? Who's it about? Is it about us? Or is it about him? All right. Now, a lot of people do not like a God who created you for him. In fact, they say, that, that must mean God's an egomaniac. Point number two, God is not an egomaniac to create us for his own glory. Now, let me again establish that God did create you for his glory. You were created in Colossians 1 for him. That's verse 1. Here's another verse. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. I created you for my glory whom I formed and made. You were created not for you but for him. Now, you go, well, why would he create us for his glory? Everything God does is for his glory. In fact, God is furious when his glory is stolen by idols. Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. I will not let humanity worship idols. The glory belongs to me, says God. In fact, uh, in the Ten Commandments, you're not to have idols, you're not to have other gods, and then that's uh, repeated in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5.9, you shall not, God says, bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, Oprah left biblical Christianity and kind of went into New Age Oprahism because of that verse. She was sitting in a Baptist church in her 20s and she listened to the preacher talking about the attributes of God and one of the attributes he talked about was God's jealousy for his his own glory. And here's what Oprah said. I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. I was 27 or 28 and I was thinking God is all, God is omnipresent, God is also jealous? A jealous God is jealous of me, and something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. And she checked out at that point. And I think if a lot of people were honest, they would say, yeah, it doesn't feel right to me either. That's not the God I'm going to worship. Or I'm going to stay in Christendom because I don't want to become an Islamic or Buddhist or an atheist, but I just won't buy this. So it's a pseudo-form of Christianity that they're in. Um, Another great theologian, other than Oprah, is a guy named Brad Pitt. (laughs) He said, I grew up believing in it, Christianity, and it worked for me in whatever my little personal high school crisis was, but it didn't last for me. I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, 
you have to acknowledge me, you have to say that I'm the best and that I'll give you eternal happiness. If you won't, then you don't get it. It seems to be about ego. I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. Out of here. A lot of theologians who don't like this. So they reinvent God. But what about all these verses? You were created for him. I will not give my glory to another. I'm a jealous God. Why is it good that God does everything for his own glory? Are you with me now? Are you, are you, you tracking here? Okay. Two reasons it's good that God defends his own glory. He is jealous for you to glorify him. Two reasons. One, what is idolatry? Isn't idolatry giving glory to something or someone other than the one who deserves all glory? Who deserves all glory? The most glorious one, God. For God to say, oh, go ahead and give your glory to something or someone other than the most glorious one would be him committing idolatry. He must defend his own glory for the sake of who he is. So it's great, it's good that God defends his own glory so he doesn't commit idolatry. But here's the real... Now, if you get this, you get the whole heart of Piper's theology. God upholding his own glory is for our ultimate good, too. Because when we are rightly aligned with God through the cross, through understanding that Christ died for us, and we, uh, we turn from sin and turn to Christ and trust in him alone for salvation, and we are now in a right relationship with him, When we are rightly related to him, it brings us the greatest joy and pleasure in the universe. In other words, God defends that which is most joyful and pleasurable, him. And he calls you to find your joy and pleasure in him. If he said, ah, you know, whatever, go do your own thing, have your own purpose in life, worship idols, whatever. That's bad for you because you're missing out on the greatest pleasure you could possibly know. So Psalm 1611, David says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Now stop right there. Do you want... Worldly pleasure, sinful pleasure, half pleasure? Or do you want fullness of pleasure? There's only one place you find that. In Christ. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So so Piper calls his, his theology, his philosophy, Christian hedonism. Because you're, you're, you people who, who settle for sin and reject Christ, you're not pursuing maximum pleasure. You're settling. He goes, I'm a, I'm a hedonist. I want the greatest pleasure, which is only found in Christ. Okay? Now, 
Let me give you a third point. We're, we're not quite at the heart of this yet, but the third point is this. Salvation involves, okay, now, now salvation involves Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place, and we trust in him, and we are saved by faith alone. Now, that's, that's the, the mechanics, the heart, the formula of atonement, okay? But there's another element of salvation where we need to have our minds open to understanding our need for salvation. Salvation involves God opening our eyes to the beauty of Christ and changing our taste to savor the gospel. In other words, if he hasn't changed you, this doesn't make any sense. If you're sitting here going, I'm bored, I fear for your salvation. Right? Salvation involves a change of your, and, and, and God uses sense language here. You know, eyes and taste and hearing. Those are all metaphors talking about deeper spiritual truth where before you were, you either didn't care, you were indifferent about Christ, but now he becomes your all in all. But this involves uh, a change, a supernatural change. Now, um, I got to tell you this, I can preach my head off and we can have music and we can uh, here read this book and until God changes your heart and opens your eyes, you're not going to get it. I am, I am helpless apart from God doing a supernatural work in your heart. But let me, and I, I brought some, some props to help illustrate this. I want to I give you three pictures to illustrate what happens when God changes us. So I've got my box of, and some of you are like, oh, good. Got, got a box of stuff, okay? And can I, can I, t- or, well, I want to put it up high, so can I use this? All right. Sorry about that. There we go. So this will be our stand. All right, now, the first, the first picture I want to give you is in Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So, uh, God pictures himself, picture a, uh, a spring with a fountain of cold, refreshing water. We've put it in a bottle for you, okay? All right, so, so let's say this is God. He goes, that's what you could have. Right. So you've forsaken me, and you've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they go, yeah, thanks, I could have that. But we're going to dig our, we know better. We're going to dig our own cisterns, but they're cracked and they don't hold any water. So when you, you, you go down into the cistern, all you get is dirt. And I don't know, I found this in my backyard last night when it was raining. 
sticks and dirt and bugs. And the sinner says, I don't want this. I want this. That's, that's how stupid it is to reject God. You're settling for this? Because you think this is more pleasurable than this? So God has to change your taste. So you go, what was I thinking in settling for this? This is what I long for now. Has that happened? Where you, where you, you look at Christ and you go, he's refreshing, he's cold, he's, he's what I long for, or are you still going, yeah, well, I go to church, but this is where it's really at. Okay, so that's, that's illustration number one. Let me give you illustration number two. That one has to do with taste. This one has to do with sight. Here's a description of the unbeliever. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The unbeliever is in darkness. The light hasn't gone on. They don't see the beauty of Christ. But when, when the light bulb goes on, here's what you see now. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember God who said, let there be light. He did that in the universe. He also does that supernaturally in the heart of a believer. Salvation is not just go to church and get intellectually convinced. There's a supernatural light that goes on in your soul. So the the light shines out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, another Piper illustration here. Um, he, he talks about a brooch. And here's, the, here's the unbeliever who has their, their precious, their precious brooch and they love it and especially at night they like to rub the brooch oh and they like to keep it close to their heart because it's so pretty oh my precious and then one day God opens their eyes to see what they're really doing and what the brooch is and they realize it's a roach It's disgusting. That's what they were loving and they were holding it close to And if you're truly saved, what do you do? You throw it from you. That's your sin. So, here's the question. Have have your eyes been opened? Have you thrown the roach from you because it's disgusting? And have you found true... See, it's over here. The the true beauty in Christ? Or are you still... In love with your roach. Okay, so that's illustration number two. Let's put the pretty side out here. I'll endure the roach from this side. Okay, then let me give you uh, uh, another illustration. We've talked. We've 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 talked about taste. We've talked about light. Now let's 
go to the nose, to the olfactory world. 2 Corinthians 2.16, to some, we Christians are an aroma of death leading to death. Why? Because we Christians live the gospel and we speak the gospel. In other words, we as representatives of Christ and the gospel are an aroma of death. Some people find us disgusting. But to others, an aroma of life leading to life. If you're going to live the gospel, realize some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to think you stink. And you know what? We can't make them love us. To, to walk with Christ, you have to be willing to be putrid in some people's nostrils. Okay? But the non-believer, okay, now here I have a bottle of polo, which I hate. Because when I was in college, I went on one of these college trips to Florida. Don't let your kids do that. Okay? Uh, but I ended up in a hotel room with four, there were four guys. And the first day, one of the guys dropped a bottle of polo cologne in the bathroom, and it got all over uh, the bathroom and the rug. And the air conditioning wasn't working well. And by the end of the week... Oh, polo makes me wretch. Okay. Sorry, some of you are like wearing it now. But <laughs> By the way, you know how much a, a, a bottle of polo is? $81. Here you go. Here's the real stuff. You can get a 55-gallon drum of brute. For $1.99, yeah. Mmm. Smell that, isn't that good? You don't like it? <laughs> so, so in essence, get the picture here. Um, Christians and the gospel used to smell like this, but God changes it so now you, you love the gospel and you love Christians. Okay? This has to take place inside of you to get it. This, it's not just reading a book, hearing a sermon, going, you know, choosing Christ the way you might choose who you're going to vote for. Here's, here's uh, the pros and the cons. And, oh, I choose this, so it's a, I'm going to choose Christ. There has to be this internal change. Or you're not saved. So the question is, which is you? Are, are, do you love the living water or are you hanging out in the broken cistern? Do you love Christ or you, do you love your roach more? Are you, are, are, do you find the gospel lovely or putrid? So if the change hasn't taken place, my advice for you is stop and fall on your face before God and ask Him to save your soul. Because if you follow the rest of the don't waste your life plan, it's nothing but legalism that will get you even further in hell. Because you're not doing it out of a love for Him. Okay? Now, let me give you uh, the next point. Oh, by the way, 
If you're going, yeah, but I really love my cistern and my roach and my, my putrid polo, here's where, where C.S. Lewis goads us, and he says, what are you settling for? And here's the classic quote from C.S. Lewis. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Roach lovers, cistern, broken cistern lovers, polo lovers, you're far too easily pleased. You're wimping out on pleasure. Okay. Now, are you with me so far? Okay, thank you. <laughs> I will give you a quarter afterwards for that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Bottle of polo? <laughs> All right, so... Here's the heart. Okay, let's say you realize I was created for God's glory. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because maximum pleasure is found in knowing God and glorifying God. Okay, he has to do the supernatural change. But now you go, I, I buy it. I want it. I want, to, I, I want to further this. I'm going along. I want to bring him more glory. How do I do it? Here's the phrase. Oh, by the way, there's a holiday at the sea. Do you want the mud pies or do you want the holiday at the sea? Yeah. That looks good, doesn't it, dear? Okay. Sorry. You, got, you start school tomorrow. You've got to work. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> Downtown Chicago. All right. So here's the key. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How do you not waste your life? Be deeply satisfied in Christ. He gets the glory, we get the pleasure. Right? Now, let me say something here. There is a huge difference between religion and a living relationship with Christ. Religion's all about duty. Check off the boxes. Think how insulting obedience out of nothing but raw duty is to God. So here's where I get to do one more illustration. The duty roses versus the delight roses. So um, let's, say, uh, let's say, guys, we had a little, little meeting yesterday morning, and uh, let's say we talked about our wives and how to love them. And we brainstormed, and somebody says, uh, yeah, chicks really dig flowers. So on the way home, you drive by the Walmart, and you get some flowers for your wife. And you come through the door, and you go, uh, honey, uh, is with the guys this morning? And we were... Talking about how much chicks like roses. So I bought you some roses. Here, it's my duty. How would you feel? You'd smack me with that, wouldn't you? You would go, take your roses, okay? But what if 
I came home. I would do it with my real wife, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Honey, man, I, I was coming home today, and I just was so, I was thinking about you. I'm so in love with you, and you're so awesome, and my heart overwhelms with love. And I thought, you know, I should take you to Hawaii, but I can't afford that. But I, I, so I, I bought you these roses as a small token of my crazy love for you. That'd be great. That's better, yeah, right? Better. Right? Yeah, I think we okay. can No. <laughs> so I used that illustration in a class once, and uh, I said, is there anybody married in the class? And there was a German student who raised his hand, and I said, what if you did that to your wife? What would she do? And he goes, I cannot tell you. <laughs> okay. So here's the point. God hates duty roses about as much as your wife would hate duty roses. Okay? You know, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Don't you think he would say, the greatest commandment is to obey. What did he say? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you know what? If you really do love him that way, you're going to obey. But if it's all just duty... God goes, gee, thanks for the effort. Now, don't misunderstand. Sometimes there is duty involved. Sometimes you do things you don't want to do, but the overriding motive must be love from a transformed heart that loves living water, a real brooch and brute. Right? Not, not just out of I have to. So, now, let's get practical. You go, all right, so I get it. Um, God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. What does it mean, though? To, what does it look like to be satisfied in him? And this is point number five. To live for him with true satisfaction should look very different than the way the rest of the world looks. So one, one way to gauge whether we get this or not is to say, do our lives look any different than the unbelieving neighbor next door? Are we living for the same things? Or can we bring more glory to God by being crazy in love with Jesus? What does that look for? Now, here's the danger. I'm going to, in point number five, give you 20 things to think about. What? 20 things, yes. Okay. Um, here's the danger. We could very easily turn every one of these into legalism. Well, I just have to check these things off, and then God will be happy with me. No, these are more tests, evaluations of our heart to ask, are we any different than the unsaved neighbor next to us? Okay? So, here we go. Uh, 20 things. By the way, the book covers a handful of these, but since Piper wrote the book, he's done seminars and on his website, and, and everything is, is kind of phrased in light of don't waste your something. In other words, don't waste every element of your life. You waste it if you don't use it as an opportunity to bring God glory. So for, first thing, um, don't waste your suffering. How can a Christian waste their suffering? Two ways. One, by avoiding it at all costs. 
I, I think we, American Christians, think we have a right as Christians to be suffering free. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If you have bought into a form of Christianity that says, I can just live without any persecution, without any suffering, you've bought a, a wrong picture. Okay? Now, some people are out there being persecuted not because of righteousness, but because of obnoxiousness. That doesn't count. Right? But have you bought the lie that says, I'm a Christian, therefore I should have a, 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 an easy life? Meanwhile, Syrian Christians and and Lebanese Christians and Iraqi Christians are having their heads chopped off by ISIS, but we think God owes us a cushy life. Now, another way you can waste your suffering is by living, as, uh, by living like our suffering is not a light and momentary thing. Now, I do not mean to belittle the incredible suffering that's going on in this room right now. But from an eternal perspective, the Apostle Paul, with his back ripped open in prison, says, it's all light and momentary. We can glorify God through our suffering by putting it in eternal perspective. So don't waste your suffering. Number two, don't waste your global calamities. And here, here what Piper's talking about is this. Every time there's a global calamity, you know, Louisiana's underwater and there's Fires out in California destroying people's homes and there's earthquakes and there's tsunamis. It's an opportunity to make a theological point. Theological point number one, be concerned, be compassionate for those people. But theological point number two, the earth, the world is under a curse because sin has entered. Now, once a tower fell on some people in Galilee and Jesus said, you know that tower that killed those 18 people? Do you think those 18 people were worse sinners than you? No, he says. Do, do not try to have a correlation between calamity and, oh, they are worse sinners than everybody else. So he says no. But then he says this. Rather, you should repent so you don't face destruction. Now he's talking about etern eternality. And what he's doing is he's saying, Calamity is death. Death comes because of sin. We are all under the sentence of death. Repent. All right, so that's how you don't waste your global calamity. Number three, don't waste your money. All right. Now, Jesus said this about money. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The unbelieving world thinks life is all about more stuff. So here's the question. Do they see a difference in the way we live? Now careful, because at this point, what a church could do is set limits. Well, you can live in a house this big or only drive this year a car, and if you have anything more, now you're sinning. No, 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 we're not going there. Okay? It's careful. Be careful that we don't set up a bunch of legalistic standards. What we should do is examine our hearts. Your heart cannot help but reveal your attitude toward your stuff. People can tell if we own our stuff or if our stuff owns us. Glorify God with a proper attitude toward money. 
is that you're idle. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll love one or hate the other. Can't serve God and money. Right? Number three, don't waste your robbery. By the way, um, you go, why would, why would John Piper talk about robbery? Let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. All his life he's served in Minneapolis in a church. And he lived across the street in a crime-ridden neighborhood. He has written 30 books, and if he took the royalties from those books, he would be a multimillionaire. He could live in Joel Osteen's mansion if he wanted to. But he said, I don't, I don't want to be tempted by money. So he, he said, all the profit goes into a foundation. I don't even want to see it. And he lived, he, he's, he, he has moved now, but he lived in a dinky little crime-ridden neighborhood. Okay? I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying this is coming from a guy who, who walks the, 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 the walk, okay? And he says, you know, occasionally you get robbed. Now, I hate getting ripped off, okay? The other day, Caitlin called, and she goes, Dad, um, $39 was taken out of my, my debit account. Do you think I was overdrawn, and that's a fine? So I called the bank, and they go, oh, that's $39 this month and the previous month and the previous five months, so basically $200. And this girl works a minimum wage job, and she's trying to save for college, and $200 was taken out of her account. So I looked into it, and you know what it was? Um, it's one of these uh, companies where you can download a, uh, a resume format for $1.95, but you've got to give them your credit card number and the fine print says oh and after this you'll automatically be signed up for our $40 a month awesome website I was furious and I got a hold of the the company I said this girl is working her tail off and you're ripping her off and the poor girl on the other end of the phone she had an accent and I'm yelling at her and I go how can you live with yourself and she says Sir, I need the job. So I felt bad for her. And, she, and, and then, then here's the deal. She goes, I, Sir, I've talked to my manager. I can give you one month back. I go, no. She goes, let me talk. She goes, Sir, I can give you two months back. I said, no. Sir, I get, give me all five months back or I'm coming over there. All right, got all five months back. Then I talked to Caitlin. She goes, thanks for doing that work, Dad. But I'm glad I learned this early in my life, if I had my own dance business, I could have really been lip, uh, ripped off. Wow. My daughter taught me something about not freaking out. Sovereignty of God. Relax. Okay? Don't waste your robbery. Don't waste your compassion. Now, <laughs> this covers a lot of things. Can I just remind us, though, that babies in the womb people created in the image of God. And I think we can become so comfortable with the state of affairs that we lose our compassion. That's just a fact. It's just a, can, can, can we not lose our compassion for babies in the womb? And can we also not lose our compassion for the women 
who find themselves in a circumstance where they go get an abortion? Can we have compassion for both the babies and the moms? Is that possible? And then, can we also remember that the best compassion we can have for people is to save their soul from eternity in hell? Right? So, I mean, we could name a whole bunch of things, but don't waste your compassion. Don't become hard-hearted. Number six, don't waste your enemies. Okay. Um, I heard this story where a guy was in, I don't know, it was in New York, I think, and he got off the subway train and somebody held him up with a gun. And the guy said, give me your wallet. And he gave him his wallet. And as the guy was walking away, the guy with the gun was walking away, the guy said, hey, it's cold out here. Do you want my coat too? And the guy with the gun said, what? He goes, yeah, I don't want you to rob anybody else. I have an extra coat. Why don't you take this? He goes, why would you do that? He goes, well, let me tell you. And there was a diner, and he he said, come on in. I'll buy you dinner. You couldn't buy him dinner because the guy had his wallet. But (laughs) (laughs) Now you go, that's crazy. And and I, you know, it's not a statement on, it's a statement on radicalness where Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If somebody wants your coat, give your cloak, give them your coat too. Yeah, I, There's different situations where that would not be wise. I think you should protect your family. Da, 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 da. But you see the difference in attitude. Okay. Don't waste your enemies. Don't waste your aging. Now, I'm going to put these two together, and don't waste your retirement. Now, uh, <laughs> Piper makes retired people angry because he says, you want to know how to waste your retirement? Spend it doing nothing but playing golf and picking up sh- sh- seashells on the seashore. Because some people think that once I'm retired, I don't have to do anything. And, and he says... Shouldn't you see retirement as your opportunity to give the time you've always wanted to give to the Lord? How about this? Go die in some foreign country as a missionary. Well, now we're getting out. This is ridiculous. Okay. Number nine. Don't waste your youth with your head down on your cell phone looking for pokey things. What are they? Pokemons. You know, what is that? Millennials. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, a book written by two brothers called Do Hard Things. It's written to teenagers. Go do hard things for the Lord. Okay. Don't waste your sexuality. God gave a beautiful gift of sex. It's to be between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. If you actually treat it that way, the rest of the world will look at you and go, wow, you're very different. And you go, well, how will they know? They know. Look at Tim Tebow, all the grief he gets for just living a biblical 
chase life. The people at work, they talk. They have their pornography. They, have their, uh, they talk about women. They talk about, and and you, don't ref, you don't engage in that, and you're faithful to your wife. That's your opportunity to not waste your sexuality. Uh, along this line, don't waste your marriage. Let me ask you this. As the world looks at your marriage, do they see a picture of Christ's love for the church? If not, what are you waiting for? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your marriage. Okay? You know, some, some Christian guys, they think that that word head in Ephesians 5, I'm the head of this family, they, they take that as their license to ruin their marriage. Don't forget verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Many, many Christian men have read Ephesians 5 wrong and they've destroyed the precious, the precious gift that God has given them. And some Christian men, you know what we need to do? We need to fall on our knees before our wife and say, I I'm so sorry. I have destroyed you. And then you need to fall on your knees. We need to fall on our knees before God and say, please forgive me for wasting this precious woman you gave me. Please don't send me to hell. Please save my soul. Don't waste your marriage. Some of you go, I don't even need to read the book now. I just need to work on that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. How about this? Speaking of marriage, don't waste your singleness. You know, my daughter, she goes, you know, some of these girls at, at college, they think that uh, until they're married, they're just wasting their life. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to live my life. Right? You know, hey, some famous, some famous single people. Jesus. Paul, Timothy, you got more time for the Lord. Don't, you know, if you're single, maximize it for the Lord. If you're married, maximize it for the Lord. But don't be like the Corinthians who are like, well, you know, I can't be fully fulfilled until I'm in one state or the other. Hey, whatever state you're in, okay? Number 13, don't waste your prayers, Pray like you mean it. Pray for something worthwhile. Pray for the salvation of people. You know what I'm, I'm loving? I'm going to the prayer meeting. At, we have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning at 9.15. Some of the guys yesterday, we were like, they were like, really? I didn't know about that. Yeah, 9.15, we have a prayer meeting in the office area back there. And lately, I've been going in there, and it's full. You go, well, what did you do? I didn't do anything. The Holy Spirit of God is moving people to pray. Love to see you in there praying at 9.15 for the service, for people, for salvation, for your marriage, for the country. Don't waste your prominence. When you win the gold medal, do you bolt it? 
Or do you give him the glory? Right? And some of you have gold medals, not in sporting activities, but in other, you're, you're really good at work. You're really good as a mom. You're really good as a kid. Do you give him the glory? Don't waste your prominence. Don't waste your spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. It's not yours. It's the church's. God gave it to the church through you. Where are you serving in the church? If not, you're wasting your time. You go, well, you know, I'm I'm ready to be in charge. No, the the way you get in charge is by serving. Where are you serving? If you're not serving somewhere with your spiritual gift, you're wasting your life. Don't waste your racial diversity. In Christ, there's no Jew, no Gentile. So have you rid yourself of all traces of racism? Don't waste your cultural diversity. So millennials, you got to love me. (laughs) It's it's funny because there's racial diversity, but it's almost a bigger diversity when it comes to the culture. I mean, some of us in this room, um, like I made it all the way through grad school without a computer. These guys are born with texting devices in their hands. That was painful, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a a world of difference just in uh, in, in our our, uh, ages. And it's really easy to just shake our head and go, those millennials. And let me give you some reasons why. No. Um, <laughs> it, racial difference, age difference, cultural difference. God is glorified when we love one another. Right? Okay. Um, don't waste the call to stay put. What does that mean? You know, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians the Apostle Paul says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And he's saying, if you're a slave, be a good slave. If you're a master, be a good master. If you're single, be a good single person. If you're married, be, embrace your marriage. And then he gets into, if you're circumcised, don't get uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised, don't get, And I don't know how you uncircumcise yourself. But what? Um, the assumption is, your calling in life is your current situation in life. Embrace it. But then, in other words, embrace it by not being so discontent. The grass always greener elsewhere. But then, there's a time when God might call you. Don't waste the call to move on. Abraham, pack up and go to a land that you know nothing about. Paul, pack up, go save the Roman world. Nichols, pack up, go to Tanzania. Nashes, pack up and go to an undisclosed location somewhere near a big mountain over there. And here's, here's the deal. In both, don't waste the, the call to stay and don't waste the call to move on. Usually, we waste it by comfort. We choose the most comfortable choice. A lot of times, God calls us to stay put in an uncomfortable situation or he calls us to leave a comfortable situation to a more uncomfortable one. Uh, so don't always assume comfort is God's will. Okay? And then finally, 
don't waste your death. Are you ready to die well? How do you die well? Paul says, I want to die. You know why? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But, you know, it's probably better for me to stay here for your sake. So I'll gut that out. Do we live as if death is gain? Or are we just grasping for everything here? In other words, do, do people sense an otherworldliness about us? Or are we pretty dug in here? Okay? So there's a few things to think about. Um, and that's, that's kind of an overview of the whole big picture of what we'll be looking at in detail in the book. I'd love to have you sign up. Um, and by the way, signing up doesn't mean I'm going to order you a book. It just means... Um, I know how many people are coming. So if you haven't signed up to let me know, please let me know. And I will pray, and we'll have the worship team come on up. (sighs) Lord, we do not want to waste our lives. You've given us one life, and it soon will pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. So Lord, um, help us to get this big picture. Help us to live differently, not for our glory, but for your glory, because... You are most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in you. Amen.